welcome back to Loose Women. It has been a while, but I'm very excited because we have a fantastic guest to return with. Today, I'm joined by Helena Fox. Helena is a performing artist, writer, workshop facilitator, and drag artist extraordinaire. I think I've got all of them. Helena is a multi-hyphenate to an extreme extent. So today I thought we'd have a little chat about graduation and moving on from university. Helena and I met through the theatre scene at Cambridge and she wrote an article on Cambridge Theatre which resonated with so many people and so I thought I would corner you and have a chat about graduation. Um, But firstly, how have you been? Um, Thank you so much for that delightful introduction. I feel like I'm on Desert Island Discs where they do an introduction and the guest is always like, thank you for that introduction, but genuinely, that was lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been all right. I mean, like everyone, the most up and down whirlwind sort of year and a half and such extremes of emotions and things to try and cope with. But yeah, at the moment I'm doing all right, um, trundling along, yeah. <laughs> So you were meant to graduate last year and we were just saying earlier that that has been postponed due to COVID. How has it felt for you moving on from university, you know, without all the bells and whistles and, you know, we have a lot of things in Cambridge with silly hoods and pulling fingers and Latin. How has that felt for you? It's been strange. And I think some of my friends and I've said, we feel like we're still in a bit of a limbo and that we kind of still are university students and that we don't know if that's something that everyone feels like when they graduated um, from any uni at any time um, may well be the case or if that is exacerbated because of the situation of our graduation you know I left Cambridge on a random day in March and kind of that was it Um, so it was really bizarre and I think it is it's weird as well how time has been warped over the last year and a half and that I kind of have done a lot of things since I graduated and moved on in lots of ways but there is still a part of me that feels like oh I ought to be in Cambridge right now or I ought to be doing my degree still and that that kind of never really had any closure. And do you think obviously because uni is always held up as such a big milestone of almost a transition between childhood and adulthood have you managed to kind of reconcile that within yourself have you how do you feel? Do you still feel like an adult, a student, uh, something um, in between? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, probably something in between. And it's funny, I say this quite a lot, but in my head, I still feel like I'm sort of 18. If I conceptualize myself, um, that I'm, oh, I'm like a teenager. Actually, I'm 23 now. Like, I need to let go. Um, but I think it is difficult to frame yourself as like in these different um stages of life I think for me in some ways out of a lot of ways this isn't the case but in some ways the way university ended being so unexpected and bizarre and unprecedented to use everyone's favorite word meant that in some ways it took the pressure off how that ending should be and how what came after should be because I am someone who really likes things to be perfect and to go the way that I'm imagining them to go in my head. And I think I would have put a lot of pressure, well, and 
even from before I matriculated, I was putting pressure on how my graduation would be like, um, what it, what it would look like, how I would feel about it and, you know, what I would do after graduation and how that would be. And I think the fact that it all got so thrown out the window in such a dramatic way, but that actually some of those pressures were gone. Um, but I would say, even though I feel like I've changed a lot since I was a teenager, there is a part of me that is like, oh, but I'm only 14. <laughs> um, no, that was a decade ago, um, which is which is wild. Do you think this is a specifically a Cambridge problem in a way that everything, there's such a Cambridge aesthetic and there's, everyone wants the picture with the Senate house or, you know, maybe in Oxford, it's say the, the Bodleian or the Radcliffe camera. There's so many iconic pictures that everyone wants. Do you think in a way the pandemic has made us reevaluate that as an almost hollow construct and it's almost an opportunity for the colleges and students to move forward and rethink different ways of celebrating? That's really interesting because I think, um, they say there are a lot of sort of conceits and, um, these things that you feel like you need to do to have had the experience. Um, but I would say that definitely isn't just an Oxbridge thing and that lots of universities and like, you know, faces of life, people would be like, Oh, but I have to get the picture outside this building. Or like, I remember for my sister's graduation, there was a certain set of stairs that they were like, we have to get our picture on these stairs. And like, that was the thing. And I don't know, it's really interesting question. I'm probably going to end up going in circles with my reply, but I think in some ways, yes, like it is a hollow construct and thinking of alternative ways of celebrating and recognizing achievement and recognizing the passing of time is really important and necessary. And also bearing in mind, you know, that some students have the privilege of being a lot more flexible than others. Some students can have a lot more family members at their graduation than others and stuff, which means that, you know, it's never a level playing field in terms of actually getting those sort of ceremonials. But at the same time, I also think humans crave, you know, recognition and ceremony around certain things. And that to some extent, even the aesthetic side of things and the procedure is quite important. And actually humans, I say, as if I've ever studied like anthropology or anything, but that I do think humans need to some extent those moments of recognition and that they can be really helpful. So basically in answer to your question, um, I don't think it's Oxford specific. I think, yes, we should think about different ways, but also that it's important to hold on to the things that might be useful to us because I think there are things that are useful to us in all of that ridiculousness, if that made any sense. Um, I'm interested by what you were saying about ticking things off a list. And I agree. I think it is, it does extend beyond Oxbridge. Um, I think in a way that the increased level of traditions almost heighten it to a a ridiculous extent here so maybe it's more noticeable but yeah definitely it's a it's a universal thing um I'm intrigued by what you said about taking things off a list and obviously you didn't really get that opportunity so did you manage to find ways to gain a sense of closure at home with your own celebrations um I think I definitely tried to and you know this is coming from really a hindsight position so I can only say, well, I'm really grateful to my past self, but there's no way I could have predicted any of this. But I think the fact that 
I really did a lot when I was in Cambridge because I was able to and felt able to for um, various reasons, which I appreciate, again, is not the case for everyone. Um, and that's not, this is not me at all saying it should be the case for everyone or anything like that. But um, in terms of things I wanted to do, I was really lucky in that I can still look back at my time at Cambridge despite losing that last term and think, yeah, I did a lot of those things or I'm really glad I did this, really glad I did that. Um, in terms of the closure itself, I would say it's ongoing still. Um, there were some things that I managed to do that were really lovely. I mean, my family were um, delightful and I'm lucky. I get well with my family and they were really sweet when I finished my exams um, and sprayed me in the garden so I could pretend it was, you know, Sainsbury's Carver um, on Sydney Street. Um, and when I went to collect my stuff from Sydney that I'd left there in March um, last summer, got to have a picnic with my DOS and one of my, um, which is my director of studies um, for everyone who doesn't know the stupid language of Cambridge, but um, my director of studies and my, one of my lecturers um, to kind of mark the end of my degree as well, which was really nice. So there have been bits, but yeah, ongoing. And I think I still get pangs where I'm like, oh, I should have had this or I've, I have don't feel like it's over yet. Um, but yeah, working on it. And I think working on accepting that it is what it is and that can be okay. And I can make my peace with that. It's a, it's certainly a hard process, isn't it? And I, I agree. It's definitely ongoing you know, for those of us who've been here this year, it's it's definitely been a different experience. And yeah, I think we're all trying to work as a community to kind of process what not being here has meant to us. But thinking about your past self and reflecting on past Helena, I kind of wanted to ask you perhaps to reflect on your university experience or the time you had here uh, in Cambridge I know certain things meant a lot to you. I know you wrote articles on your course and Cambridge Theatre for Varsity, the student paper. Uh, so I wanted to ask, what do you miss from Cambridge? Ooh, I miss the people a lot. And there are some people I haven't seen since February or March 2019 because we, you know, we've been flung across to various places. And I'm, I'm so glad that I have seen some people, um, but I miss that real sense of community I think especially the queer community and the community I had through drag because that's one that it's really hard to replicate without those specific circumstances of you're all backstage about to do a drag show whereas with you know other of my uni friends it's like okay we can meet up and go to the pub and that's great because it feels like we're meeting up and going to the pub whereas to recreate those really specific and safe queer spaces when you're alone in your childhood bedroom is, you know, is a much harder thing. Um, and I think that's something I really miss. And I do miss my department. So I did Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic. I honestly, I loved it, both the degree and the department. And we had a common room that, you know, you would go in at any time of day. And there'd always be at least five people sat there knitting or working or eating biscuits whatever. and I really miss that sort of being able to just wander in and have that sort of on tap as it were that sounds really weird but I don't know how else to describe it I think 
yeah, those are the things that sort of feel the hardest to, let's say, recreate is such um, a weird word to use, but the things that are much harder to have in a different circumstance, if that makes sense, because they're not from the context of going to the pub or going to the park or going to the theatre, which are things that I am able to do COVID depending, um, whereas I can't go to the Asnet Common Room and I can't necessarily go to a really safe queer space or whatever. Hey, that makes complete sense. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a big lover of mundane moments. I really savour those kind of funny interactions you have with people that you would never say to someone, oh, can you just sit on the sofa and eat some biscuits to make me feel something? It's, it's so hard to get back. Um, so I'm completely with you there. Um, so you thought about what, what you miss, obviously a lot of people and, you know, being part of a community. So this, this seems a very natural follow-up with what don't you miss about Cambridge? I'm, I'm sure there's so many things. We all have things here. <laughs> the the bureaucracy of trying to like get changed. I don't miss that. I was LGBT plus officer at Sydney for a year. Um, and I really loved doing it and got to do some really amazing things and was really grateful to do it. But oh my goodness, some of it was such a trial and really exhausting to even get tiny changes like dress codes made gender neutral where no one was opposed to it. But even just getting that done was such a process um, and I don't miss that. I don't miss an environment of every single person there being very either self-pressured or pressured from outside, um, both equally valid to succeed in whatever sense of succeed, be it through academics or extracurriculars or all of the above, I think to get to Cambridge be it through like one's own volition or being pushed there. Most people, I mean, I'm, I'm aware I'm making generalizations, but most people have quite a perfectionist in them. And I think being around that all the time is damaging for all of us and can be a really difficult environment. And it self perpetuates, you know, my perfectionism is not going to help someone else's and vice versa. And I think it's nice to feel like in a slightly more mellow environment where things don't have to happen at a million percent all the time and that's okay um and like I, I do miss my degree and like the courses and stuff but I don't miss the daily grind of you know doing that much work at such a turnaround and I was the sort of person that I would much rather tell my supervisor that I wasn't going to do an essay that that week than do an all night. But it's, you know, it's a lot of work to do quickly and that's tiring. And I don't miss that. And I'd be lying if I said I did. I think I'd be really concerned. I'm yet to meet anyone who says they miss that aspect of it, the kind of work for work's sake and the constant emailing at ridiculous hours. I think, I think the latest I've had an email from a, a supervisor has been about 1am oh. a fun little thought from the middle of the night <laughs> um but yeah thinking about it's such a crazy conflicting experience going through the Cambridge roller coaster and I think it leaves us with so many 
you know, good and good and bad memories. So I was wondering how what what have you taken away from Cambridge? Do you feel bits of Cambridge have impacted you now after university and fed into the way you behave or the way you perceive yourself? Um, yeah, definitely. And I think potentially some of these might sound quite surprising. Um, I think during my time at Cambridge and my experience at Cambridge really taught me to value myself for more than my academics, which I know is contrary to a lot of people's experience at Cambridge. I'd probably quite a weird thing for me to say. Um, but I, as anyone who knows me will know because I don't shut up about it, I hated the last few years of school, really hated them and really struggled and I wasn't well and I thought it was horrible, really clashed with the sort of head teachers and stuff. Um, so to be in a place where people actually took my opinion seriously and again, the as snack academics were just brilliant because they, you know, obviously incredibly academic and really passionate about their subjects, but also recognised all of us as human beings above and beyond our academics. And that was really valuable to me and something I felt I hadn't had at school so much from authority figures. And then being able to do the extracurriculars like the drag and writing Rust and, you know, even the Beanock lists, which... <laughs> Um, I went there and maybe we'll regret going there, but, um, but things like that, that were people, you know, acknowledging me for things that weren't actually my essay results was quite new to me and something that I really worked on accepting and valuing in myself as well. And as I said, I think that's potentially quite an unusual thing to come out of Cambridge with. Yeah, that's such an unusual response, but a, wond a wonderful response. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, and yes, yeah, sorry, I, in introducing Helena, I should have used her most important title, which is a Cambridge <laughs> Beanock as of the official, that's like the Forbes 30 under 30 list at this point, a Cambridge Beanock. It's, it's better, I think. <laughs> um, it's top of my CV, top of, top of everything I do. I wear a badge daily. <laughs> <laughs> business cards, you mouse maps, yep, yep, merchandise. Yep. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned Rust, which I feel it would be frankly rude to have a conversation with you and not mention. You wrote a musical called Rust and you did a run at yes. the Edinburgh Fringe and in Cambridge. The show was recently longlisted for the Styles and Drew MTI Award in 2021. The, it won the Derek Awards Best Musical of the Fringe and was shortlisted, I believe, by Broadway World and the Musical Theatre Review. So, not bad. <laughs> not bad. It's all right. Nice little collection <laughs> of, of prizes there. Um, yeah, I, oh, I should also mention, you've also written another show called Astrid, which was also recently longlisted for the Stars and Drew MTI Award in 2021. So I wondered if we could just talk about those projects and what the experience of writing these two different shows was like for you in the Cambridge environment. Yeah, let's start with Rust first. Um, yeah, so, I mean, writing Rust and Astrid uh, was super, super different. Um, and to clarify, I 
co have co-written both of them. Um, so Rust with Garrett Owen and Astrid with Georgia Rawlins. Um, it's certainly not something that I personally would or should be able to undertake alone. Um, <laughs> I left my composing in sort of, you know, year nine compulsory music lessons, I think. Um, but um, writing Rust was just so hectic and the case of me making up what I was doing um, throughout because I have never studied playwriting. I didn't do drama at school. I didn't do English literature A-level. So, you know, I did the Tempest at GCC, but we didn't really talk about <laughs> how do you write a play or a musical. Um, I'd had the idea the previous summer when I was performing at the end of the Fringe and thought that the time I'd spent in rehab just before I moved to university would be a story worth telling um, and one that would really be elevated by being a musical. And so I was really lucky to get the University Musical Theatre Society funding to be able to take it to Edinburgh. And yeah, it was, it was mainly a case of keyboard smashing for a few days over the Easter holidays and just trying to draft a show for the first time ever. I'd never written for the stage before um, other than tiny little drag acts for myself. After I'd drafted over the Easter holidays, um, while also trying to revise and, you know, do the degree, etc. Geraint and I spent a week after our second year, my second year, his third year exams, trying to redraft, structure it, um, and write the songs before we had a week of rehearsals with the cast after May week, a week of rehearsals in my tiny village, which was fun. And then, um, a month at the fringe so yeah it really was a case of me writing things down with no real idea of what I was doing but with things yeah that were truthful to me I guess and I think it's really clear if you read it or see it and know about this the stage but know about stagecraft that it is not written the, the book is not written by someone who is well-versed in those things. Um, at that point, I was zero-versed. Um, but I think that's that was okay for it being an hour-long fringe show and part of what gave it its like unique feel as that show in that moment um, and part of why audience members may be connected with it more than they're expecting to. I'm really interested by um, what you were saying about, you know, the book maybe not being, you know, well, Shakespeare's The Tempest, but who who's is? Do you think in a way there's a, a snobbery around theatre and, you know, particularly in Cambridge, you know, with the course being the English course and there's a lot of emphasis on classical theatre. Do you, do you think in a way that is a barrier then to pe for people connecting with something? Mm, that's yeah that's a good question and as I say coming from an answer coming from the perspective of someone who has never really studied um the stage that much and I mean I in the past year since I've graduated I have been deliberately trying to learn more because you know whether you want to write in an established form or deconstruct it it's really good often to know what came before um but I think 
things like the English course that focus so heavily on the classics can be quite detrimental. And I know a lot of English students at Cambridge who've been really turned off English by those first two years of the degree that really put you through the mill of classical texts. I don't really give you much choice about it. Um, And, you know, sometimes the seasons at the ADC in the past to me have felt very like, oh, another Shakespeare another um now I can't think of any good examples of the Shakespeare but you know another um another classic in the very canon sense um but at the same time it's also true that you know those classics that give people who want to do classics the chance to do them also often get in the people who fund the ADC to be able to carry on and then put on student-written musicals or, um, you know, European absurdist plays at Corpus Playroom and stuff. Um, So I think there's still work to be done, but that if you, especially if you're looking for it, there's a lot of really cool stuff to be found. And I mean, to be able to put on drag shows regularly in a beautiful theatre like the ADC was really cool and um, I don't sort of forget that that was really cool um, and did a lot for my drag and was such a good platform for all of us to do drag that would work in a theatre, not just a nightclub, um, as something really important. And I I think you've kind of summarised the theatre scene here in a way, the kind of complicated sort of mixing pot of all these different styles and genres that exist in the Cambridge theatre scene. And they definitely are given different weightings due to funding and various different factors. But I'm interested by your creative process uh, as a student. And you've just been saying how you wrote Rust within the framework of studying full-time how has your process changed moving on from university and you know going out into the wide world where we have to monetize these hobbies and interests if in, in turn it into a job ah uh, yes <laughs> jobs um in terms of the process I'd say it's become a lot less frantic um something I did at uni was keeping myself extremely busy, Um, you know, kind of having classes, lectures, seminars during the day, and then, you know, five separate meetings, rehearsals, social events in the evening. Um, At the time, I mean, I was shattered, but it worked really well for me because it meant that I got the things done that I needed and wanted to do in the time I had for them um, without them. So things like my academic work, I think at Cambridge, it's easy to make the work go on forever because there is always another book you could have read and there is always another source you could have cited um, or another thing you could have translated. Um, like you you, can, you could always have done more and you're nearly always going to be sat in a seminar next to someone who has quite possibly done more. But actually, something that I really wanted to stick through to my through my degree was doing enough 
and working hard, like I did work hard, but doing enough, but not more than that. And that meant that my work never expanded into more time than it had to, because if there was like, I would just get it done in the time I had, cause I didn't have any more time. Um, but that meant that everything was very like, ah, now I've got to write this. And then I've got to write a play cause I've <laughs> like a theater's told me I could hire it. So I should probably write a show. Um, whereas since leaving and certainly with writing Astrid, so we talked about it, Georgia and I, before COVID really all hit um, Cambridge, but we properly only wrote it after I finished my finals. Um, and it meant that there was a lot more talking and discussing, planning, and it was much, yeah, much more thorough in terms of the pre-writing stages and then just spread out over a much longer time period, so much less intense, um, which I think has pros and cons. Um, and something I found difficult over the past year and a half is trying to find the right balance between being busy enough so that I want to do things, but not so busy with things that I don't have time for the stuff that I really love. Um, and especially during COVID, obviously it's been much more restricted what we can and can't do, which made that more difficult. Um, and in terms of, yeah, monetizing uh, our passions, that's so sad and rubbish, but um, it is necessary. And I think at the moment I'm quite happy with the balance I've found. So I work three, <laughs> three different um, part-time admin jobs of varying hours a week. Um, and then spend sort of the rest of a full-time week writing um, and doing creative stuff, which means that, and, and also my like freelance workshop facilitation and stuff, um, which means that it takes the pressure off the writing being monetized at the moment a bit. Um, if it is, and you know, I've had like a couple of paid commissions, that's great, obviously. <laughs> um, but it means that I can allow myself a bit more space to create things without having to be paid for them yet and hopefully be paid for them in the future but we'll see <laughs> yes I really I think that's um yes a very interesting insight because I'm always conscious you know when we're at university these things really keep us going and you know there are lifeblood there where we meet our friends and we enjoy them so much and then to have to define yourself as a, a writer or a, an actor, a performer, a drag artist, it, it shifts the gears. It really, it really does, doesn't it? I found it definitely from a presenting angle of you suddenly consider things much more critically and it's, it's hard to hold on to it as something you enjoy sometimes. So I'm really glad that you've still got space to kind of enjoy those things. I think it's also a case of like having the conviction to, tell yourself that you are that thing and that that's valid. I, well, that was something I found really hard anyway, being, but people are like, well, as a writer, I was like, oh, am I a writer? Am I allowed to call myself that? It's like, yeah. Like <laughs> having that belief that yes, I'm a writer and a drag artist has really probably been a big part of the challenge for me in terms of allowing myself to be like, no, I'm, I'm good enough and valid enough to call myself X thing do you think that 
having these responses from people looking at your work, did that help validate um, your sense of yourself as a professional creative? Um, yes, definitely. Um, and it also has validated like why I want to and care about doing these things. Um, and like part of why I've loved the Edinburgh Fringe as exhausting as it can be is that often you can meet audience members after, um, which has been really special, particularly for shows like Rust, which is about mental health and for the shows I did with Drag Time, where we often had audience members at their first drag show, like with their parents and stuff like that, like teens um, who would really want to meet us afterwards. And that has always made me think, yeah, this is why I care about the arts and why people should care about the arts. Um, with Rust, it was meeting the individual audience members afterwards who weren't going to be nominating us for a musical theatre review award because they didn't work there. Um, they, that was what meant um, the most to me was say, hearing people be like, oh, thank you for telling a story that really resonated with mine, things like that, rather than this got five stars from this person, um, which yes, as I said, absolutely was validating. And again, it would be utter bullshit for me to say, no, actually I barely noticed the reviews. Like, no, obviously we have like reviewed the, the pages every day, seeing if a review had come in. Um, but I would say, yeah, there are lots of different ways to validate one's art. If, one wants to validate it at all, if that makes sense, because some art exists outside validation and that's a whole part of its existence and purpose and that's really cool and valid in its own not valid way, if that makes any sense. No, that makes complete sense. And I think it's super important, uh, particularly coming out of, as you were saying, the supportive theatre community at universities or even, you know, educational spaces, schools, all these, all these different places. I think it's definitely hard, but it's so important to cultivate a sense of self-worth that sort of fuels you. Um, so I think you've answered my question of how, how have you stayed motivated? So I think you naturally, you covered that. So I feel I need to ask, what's next? What What are you up to at the minute? I've seen you've gone back to Rust through social media. I've seen some writing sessions have been happening. Yeah, so again, in terms of the, oh, what motivates your question as well, I have, I have answered that in part, I think, but also feel the need to you know, say to anyone listening that there's time spent doing my jobs and writing musicals and doing drag there's also a lot of time spent lying on the floor like watching cbbc shows it's what got me through the past year uh would really recommend the recent remake the worst which it's very good um and that actually you know that is part of it as well and that it hasn't been um that i've just yeah you know graduated onto this comet where I'm like yes I'm amazing all the time um but yeah at the moment I said I'm working working these part-time jobs which is really nice and I also think part of what people can forget sometimes with a lot of creative careers they can be really lonely because a lot of the time 
can be spent by yourself or with one of the collaborators maybe in your head. And actually that is not always a recipe for the nicest time. Um, and so having jobs where I have colleagues and interact with an organization stuff has been really valuable for me and not something I would want to give up for a while yet. So in terms of what's next, um, carrying on with my, with my job. So they're at a literary, a literary festival and a heritage organization and um, an author who I kind of assist. So three quite different, but all, you know, arts organization things. And I would love to carry on with those. Um, and yes, Garrett and I are trying to turn Rust into a two act long um, sort of bigger scale show because yeah, it really worked as a fringe show as it was before, but I think going forwards to do anything with it now, it needs an overhaul because it is currently a fringe show that works really well in a fringe format, but not in other formats. Um, and then Astrid, hopefully, fingers crossed, will be on at the ADC in Cambridge in November, um, barring any COVID sabotage or other unforeseen <laughs> circumstances. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I've been writing a one-woman show over the past year, which is, well, past few months, um, which is written and I'm sort of workshopping it for director and I'd love to get that on stage um, in sort of fringe or, you know, small scale regional theatres. Um, carrying on with drag. Um, and I think drag actually has said that's something I miss so much is drag time and the, the community of drag time because it's where I felt the safest doing drag and my drag isn't always what people expect or want drag to be. Um, and I think outside of the really wonderful, supportive drag type community, that can be quite hard. And that's something I'm negotiating at the moment is trying to like weigh up wanting to do drag some of the time and it being really important to me, but also not wanting to, sell myself out and not do the drag I care about. Um, but I will, I will keep doing it when, when it feels right. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to reach out for other creative projects. Um, a school friend and I would love to set up this company. Um, and we, you know, we know all the things you need to, you need to do. We have kind of the ideas and know about the admin side of things. We're just, not very good at actually doing it because I think we're both <laughs> a bit scared and tentative, but um, I'm saying putting this on record so that it motivates us to actually do that. Um, and that, that would be, that would be great to do that. So yeah, basically carrying on as I am um, doing my admin jobs that allow me to also, yeah, have, have a sort of social work life and, do things that aren't in my head all the time because something else I really appreciate about the admin is that it stops me from thinking which is what I have to do for the creative stuff um but it can be nice to stop some of the time um and yeah trying to keep forging away in the creative industries um in yeah whatever whatever path happens it's impossible to predict or follow any sort of established way for that but trying to chip away at it and enjoying the balance as it is at the moment. Um, and then also carrying on watching CBBC shows because 
I do find them very soothing um, and a real a real tonic to stressful times. Um, so I can't pretend I lead a glamorous existence, but in reality, I do a lot of Sudoku and watch CBBC. <laughs> I really love this, Helena. I feel this is such an antidote. I mean, we're very familiar with, you know, very lucky Cambridge alumni. You know, we've got Emma Corrin and Toby Marlowe who seem to have shot to stardom overnight. But yes. Helena is keeping it real here with Sudoku and the worst witch. But mm-hmm. some very it's exciting. Really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm tempted to watch. You're not sponsored. Oh, you're not, you're, this is no, I mean, I wish that would, that would be great. Maybe they'll get in touch after this and think, oh my gosh, we could have a Beanock to advertise. <laughs> yes, Cambridge Beanock has endorsed the worst witch. Yeah. Well, I was um, going to ask you next uh, to kind of wrap up, ask what your three main pieces of advice are for people, you know, moving on from university into the big wide world which is mainly just a self-indulgent request from myself really as someone about to graduate but I feel I feel the main takeaway really is watch CBBC shows I, was, I know I was like I've given my advice so, so, <laughs> um, so ooh, um I think first thing I'd say is like obviously these things are all simplification because everyone's situations are different and nuanced um and like I really appreciate that that is the case um but firstly like stick to your guns and know that what you want to be doing is valid and that if you don't think you fit in with certain structures or work systems that's because they've been poorly made and constructed not because of you being poorly made or constructed or not good enough um and even if it you know things don't unfold as you'd hoped or imagined um yeah believe that you are absolutely worthy um I also think a lot of people are very good at acting like they have it together much more than they do because we're all pressured to act like that um but that actually, if you feel like you've no idea what's going on, you've no idea what you want to do, that's the case for a lot of people for many years after graduating. Um, if you know exactly what you want to do and go straight into it, that's also great. And congrats. Um, <laughs> that sounded sarcastic, but it was meant to be genuine. Um, but yeah, if you if you have no idea what's going on, like things will happen and it might not be yeah, what, what you'd exactly envisaged but things will happen and you are definitely not the only person feeling like that because I think a lot of people of all ages are secretly having no idea what's going on inside but have been taught very well to act like they know exactly what's going on um and then lastly hmm, don't they <laughs> can sound like such a don't just don't they to think about how to phrase this I mean, so um I really love don't just as just don't advice just, yeah, just if don't. you think about it just don't um, so don't lose sight of I have to, I have to explain this after don't lose sight of your inner child and don't be afraid to tend to your inner child 
um, that I promise that's not an excuse for me to shoehorn back in CBBC, although I realise now it doesn't work. But um, yeah, I think, again, a lot of us have been taught really well to think that we shouldn't need validation or certain amounts of support or encouragement, um, especially now that we're adults and we've graduated from uni, so we should just go off and be adults. But actually, um, I think listening to your inner child and trying now that you hopefully have a bit more independence, listening to what your inner child, younger self or current self actually really needs or wants and trying to give that to yourself um, in the healthiest way possible is a really good thing to do and something that we are discouraged from doing, but shouldn't be, in my opinion. So I'd say, yeah, don't be afraid to listen to and nurture your inner child. That is a very clever way of justifying watching CBBC. And it wasn't even something I really passionately believe in. But now that I've talked about the worst witch for so long, it does. <laughs> like It was all a plan to get back to that. It was masterfully done with a lot of, almost the authority of a psychologist. So I'm very impressed with that. Um, well, Helena, I could chat forever. I, I really could. I've really loved this conversation. I think it's... It's such an interesting insight into the journey between uni and I don't want to say the adult world because as we said it's a, a funny in-between stage of life but thank you so much for joining me today I'm so grateful that you gave up your afternoon to speak to me and thank you so much if you're listening we for this has been a very chaotic interview we've moved <laughs> locations quite a few times to get optimum wi-fi and i'm pretty sure that my fridge has just come on in the background um so i'm very sorry for any squeaks crackles and pops in the background but um if you would like to keep up to date with helena's work and what she is up to next and take a look at the amazing things she is making you can follow her at Instagram at King Hobron, King H O B E R O N, uh, Twitter HCA Fox, and my website is www.hellofox.co.uk. Um, thank you so much for having me, Lucy. I would say leaving uni is a really difficult and weird time for everyone at the best of times, never mind with COVID. So, like, you're all doing great if you're in that phase at the moment. Um, and keep going and yeah thank you so much for having me and for listening thank you and we will be back very soon with more material keep your eyes peeled you can follow loose underscore women on instagram and twitter but goodbye for now thank you for listening